It's been fun to uh, see the uh, posts from adults when we have our children's moment that many adults say, you know, that's not just for the kids. So once again, Susan, that's not just for the kids. So thank you so much. And kids, uh, we do miss you and uh, we are grateful for those that come every week and have you on their heart and want to communicate with you. And now for uh, the adults. There is a, there's a legend in American life, my favorite new word of the week, a niggling belief in the Western psyche that bad things always happen in threes. From natural disasters to household mishaps, if it's happened twice, it's definitely going to happen a third time. How many of us have heard that legend? Raise your hand. Everybody in the room is raising their hand. <laughs> Our first disaster, a global pandemic. Beginning in January of this year, it may not seem like it was January of this year, but it was January 2020 until June the 6th, which is just five months. This is five months, 6 million. 713,300 people have been infected with COVID-19 globally. Even sadder than that, in just five months, 394,593 humans have died from this virus. Now, while we are all hoping and praying for infections and death to stop, we need to reflect on reality. It is a defense mechanism to, one, just deny this really isn't happening. That's a defense mechanism. If you're still in the fog, this isn't happening, that's a defense mechanism. If you're minimizing this, which one of the ways we do that, oh, it's just like the flu. This is not like the flu. <laughs> I don't know how many doctors and professionals need to tell us we need to stop minimizing. There needs to be a reality. There is a global pandemic. And while we are hoping, praying, it will come to an end, the reality is this. The number of new cases is growing faster than ever worldwide with more than 100,000 reported each day. Even in Comal County, where we feel very safe, and I would just, again, just, I'm very grateful what the mercy of the Lord. We don't have a lot of people infected, and not many people have died, though, too many. But our, our, our public health official wrote just yesterday, the opening of Texas continues as this week restaurants and businesses increased to 50% capacity, and as of June the 12th, go up to 75% of normal capacity. Everyone should realize that is not because the coronavirus is gone. The coronavirus is not gone. We are reopening in spite of the coronavirus still being here. Nothing has changed with the virus as compared to March, April, when we had the stay-at-home orders. <coughs> Excuse me, did you hear that? Nothing's changed 
as it pertains to the virus, yet we're reopening. There's a rising number of cases in Texas. That includes our county. 117 cases have been counted. So we have a global pandemic. First disaster. There's a second disaster. An economic downturn and record unemployment. The economy is faltering and people are filing for unemployment because of the pandemic. There's a ripple effect from the first disaster to the second. In February of this year, the U.S. was enjoying record high employment with the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. Again, did you hear that? February. This is now June. Only 3.5% unemployment in February. Since mid-March, that would be March, let's just say March 15th. March 15th. April 15th, May 15th. It's not even June 15th. In less than three months. Less than three months. Did, did you hear that? Less than three months. Almost 40 million American workers have filed for unemployment. That 40% represents 25% of Americans are now unemployed. That would be like one in four families on average. Those those unemployed in Texas, they're trying to survive financially on unemployment benefits that range from $69 per week to $521 per week based upon previous employment. That, That would mean that weekly support when averaged over the month. These unemployed Texans are trying to survive on between $300 a month to $2,258 per month. Now, put that in your family budget. Would that work? This support is limited to 52 weeks. And we've not, we've not experienced this degree of economic downturn since the Great Depression in the late 1920s and 1930s. This is a disaster, second disaster. So if one, we've got a global pandemic, number one disaster, and we've got a number two disaster, economic disaster, economic downturn, record unemployment. Where where there's two in our American legend, there's going to be three. Third disaster, the brutal murder of black Americans by white Americans, including... White policeman. February 23rd, Ahmad Aubrey. March 13th, Breonna Taylor. May 25th, George Floyd. These black Americans have died. All three deaths are tragic. These deaths are incredibly disturbing with varying layers of centuries-old racism and bad cop brutality. So thousands of Americans have stepped out on the streets to protest, to demand a change. People are angry. People are sad. People are in pain. Some of those protests have erupted 
and scenes of looting and property damage. People are unemployed. These things are tied together. Most often, the protests have been peaceful with people, Americans, whether black or Hispanic or white or keeps on going, crying out for equal justice for all. That's what our founding documents say. Equal justice for all, regardless of color or creed. Sadly, still other protests have demonstrated a militarized police force which has seemingly only deepened the resentment and the rage. Three national disasters in less than five months. As Mary Ann prayed eloquently, Oh Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And what are we, those who follow Jesus, called the church? What are we to do in times of disaster? I've been meditating in Acts chapter 4. I've shared with you a couple of times from that chapter. Luke records for us the first time the young church, they faced a major threat. And as silly as it seems, Peter and John were arrested by Jewish authorities because a lame man was miraculously healed right outside that temple that Susan talked about. Those two disciples, followers of Jesus, spent the night in jail before any official charge. They were brought before the Sanhedrin, the highest court in first century Israel with, with no representation. And they were told to stop. Stop. Stop what? Stop teaching in the name of Jesus. Stop teaching the resurrection of Jesus. And if they disobeyed the court order, it's clear that they would face future arrest and punishment. So what did these first followers of Jesus do in light of the threat against them. Well, first, they prayed together fervently, asking God to deal with the threat and asking the Holy Spirit to give them courage to keep on proclaiming the name of Jesus. Are we, the followers of Jesus today, gathering together to pray fervently? Are we asking God to deal with these threats? Are we asking the Holy Spirit to give us courage in, in spite of the threats around us, in spite of it, to proclaim the name of Jesus? Because that's what they did. In face of the threat, they proclaimed Jesus boldly. The threat against them didn't alter the message. Thousands responded to following the living, the resurrected Lord Jesus. At the core of what we need is we need relationship with the King of all kings, 
the Lord of all lords, who establishes his kingdom on the earth, which is fair, which is just. The third thing they did is they experienced an incredible season of prosperity. Listen to their story. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the feet of the apostles, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. True prosperity is not massive accumulation of money and prosperity. True prosperity is the freedom to share everything we have with those that have needs. A community is prosperous when there is no needy person among them. When people choose to share what they have with others who have need, they are prosperous. Now, in light of the massive needs among us in America, I believe this is the way forward for those of us who follow Jesus. So I, what I want, I, want, I want to try to squeeze all the encouragement I can from our history and put it to work today. So here's some suggestions for us to act upon. This is a time, if there ever was a time, for all believers, all who follow Jesus, to seek one heart and one mind. Unity in the body of Christ is not optional. We must work through our differences, work to reconciliation, and we must move forward together as a united front. We cannot allow race or doctrine or politics to divide us. We must make space for conversation and grow in our respect of one another in spite of our differences. Two times in Luke 4 it mentions our forefathers in the faith, those that followed Jesus, they were of one heart, one mind, they were united. We, we've got to get there. We're called by the kingdom of heaven to let go of our possessions. Remember the encounter Jesus had with the young, rich ruler? Sadly, his wealth owned him, and he could not escape from its grip. So 
He walked away from Jesus. He did not enter the kingdom of God. I believe we're all stewards of what God has given to us. We don't own it. We're stewarding it. And as stewards, when we're asked to choose, there's a choice. Even the Lord Almighty is not going to force us when we're asked to choose to divest ourselves of food or time or money or even property in order to care for others, then we surrender to our king, the owner of it all. And notice the proclamation of the resurrected one was the central message of this prosperous community. Why is that? Well, we might consider it loss when we give. But in light of the resurrection, anything that feels like a death becomes life. The resurrection of Jesus introduces radical change for the better for every human system, including economics. The new order that Jesus brings is the reversal. It's the upside-down kingdom. Better to give than to receive. And as the old dies, a new comes to life. The resurrection of Jesus is not just about later. It's now. The prosperity happened by God's grace working powerfully among them. These acts of surrender and sacrifice, the sharing of wealth, and even the humility to receive help, none of that can be legislated. None of that can be in a law. It's only God's grace that can move us to acts like this. Only God's grace can give us eyes to see that the needs of our neighbor are more important than our portfolio. And then notice, this happened from time to time. This happened from time to time. This was not a daily event in the life of the first century church. Possibly not even a weekly event. It was as needs were met... And then needs resurfaced. Whenever that resurfacing of needs came, there, there was the need for some sort of extravagant giving. And so as the Spirit of God nudged people to give, to sell property or to sell a home and contribute it to the community, it was as there was need. But when there was a season of need, like the one we're facing... We need to begin to prepare. We've got to prepare ourselves for that sort of extravagant exchange. Finally, when anyone sold a field or they sold their house, they, they entrusted those proceeds to the apostles who distributed the gifts equitably, fairly, justly. These leaders could be trusted with finances. These leaders 
cared for the needs of others, not their own. It's a wonderful testimony to servant leadership. None of these leaders got rich. None of these leaders lived in palatial mansions. None of these leaders traveled around in jets. Their, their needs were met like everybody else in the community. And they were the stewards, trustworthy leaders. Now, as you hold on to those words of encouragement, I have two practical steps that we can take. We can put this into action in these ways. First of all, we've been invited to contribute a gift from the churches of New Braunfels to black business owners in Minneapolis whose shops were damaged by looting. There's a church in Minneapolis that has requested that other cities help. And that request has come to a friend of mine who sent out an email to every church and said, hey, would your church be willing to collect a gift? It's very reminiscent of what Paul does in the New Testament as he gathers a gift for those suffering from a famine in Jerusalem. So next Sunday and then the Sunday afterwards, we're going to receive any gift, again, you might decide you want to give. And we're going to designate those gifts to Minneapolis. And to Minneapolis they will go. None of these gifts will stay here. So if you want to give, I would encourage you to do this. Read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. let's, Let's just let our history become fresh in your mind. Ask the Holy Spirit. And then give a gift to River City Vineyard designated for Minneapolis. We will pool that, those gifts together. We will give that to our friend and those will go to this church in Minneapolis to care for these black business owners who are in need. So that's one practical way. The other is more at home. Because of the tremendous need that is out there, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know when all of a sudden there's going to be a wave of needs that that hits us, but it's inevitable as far as the way I see it. So I want our storehouse to be full. I want the barn to be full. I want River City Vineyard to be prepared, to be generous to any in need who ask our help. We want to take good care of those who have needs among us as well as those in our extended network of family and friends. So this is what I want to encourage. I want every family in our community to contribute something every month. Now that something might be a loaf of bread. Or it could be a bag of vegetables. Or it could be a gift of 50 cents. And I'm being serious. Because right now, 50 cents might be all that you feel like your family can spare. But let that gift be guided by the Holy Spirit. It could be the sale of property. Now the encouragement 
it's not what we give. It's not the amount we give. It's just the fact that we decide, we choose, we're going to give something every month because we want the storehouse to be full. We want to be ready when people have a need. Now, I want, I want us to give those monthly gifts in the spirit of the lad who surrendered his two loaves and five fish to the disciples in the feeding of the 5,000. Obviously, two loaves and five fish would not feed 5,000 people. We have, if, if you don't understand the ridiculousness of that, then go back and reread the story. There was, there, no, it, no. Now, the analogy is, it's obvious that the gifts that we receive and the accounts we get ready, that what we want to do to no. It's not going to be enough to take care of 40 million Americans. We know that. But this is what we need to understand. The point is not the amount of the need. It's not the amount of the gift. The point is what we have, we give to Jesus. Whether it's a pittance, whether it's a bundle, whether it's a loaf of bread, whether it's vegetables, and he multiplies whatever we give to meet all the needs. See, I want us to be that kind of prosperous community in which no one has needs because we give what we give. Jesus then multiplies it. That is God's grace at work powerfully from a, through a community that's following Jesus. May it be so in Jesus' name. We can't do it without the help of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, please come. Holy Spirit, expand our imagination. Holy Spirit, let the lights turn on that what we read about the history of the church is not just meant to stay on the pages of the past. Thank you that your desire is to let your grace work powerfully through us in our day and in our need. Transform us into a community that is prosperous because we're generous.